0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to FocusCompounding.com. App or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regular scheduled podcast.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding. Sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going?
0: Uh, it's going very well. How's it going with you? It's
1: going very well as well. Okay. Hope everyone is having a great day as well as well. Um, in today's podcast, we're just going to talk about this idea of intelligent speculation. Okay, is that even a thing? We've talked about Warren Buffett's personal portfolio before based on the information that we can get out there on the internet. And it sounds like he did a lot more intelligent speculation than people might think he did, right? So what is intelligent speculation to you? Like, what's the difference between intelligent speculation and investing? Because sometimes when I read reports, mm -hmm. I think it's a speculation, but people are like, you know, they're thinking about it as an investment, but like, where's the fine line?
0: Right. And who even judges that, you know? You had mentioned Texas Hold'em with Vetla on the rundown. Yeah. So I will use an example from that because I read a book that I didn't like the book that much, but it had a good part in it, uh, a good analogy. I mean, it wasn't talking specifically about this, but I think this is the best way to think about it. The example given there was if you think about it, every no matter what hand you have and stuff, there's an element of a bluff to it, and there's an element of value that you have there. So if you think on a spectrum – uh, if you have two aces, right, then it's all is that value. a good hand? It, then it's all value, right? All in. But if you have 7-2, then it's basically all bluff. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with whether you are intending to bluff or not, but it's just that's all that you can get out of it. Basically. Are we 7-2, same suit, off suit? What are we doing here? <laughs> sure, off suit. Okay, yeah, bluff. Um, uh, the book actually is anti uh, having different bets based on the suit. Um, for almost all cases. But having said that, um, the reason why I think that that comparison makes sense here is to think about it as speculation is like having the seven, two, as opposed to a pair of aces, because what you're looking for is to, in a sense, get value from what the market will do with other people. Um, there, as opposed to just what the business will do. And I think that's the biggest difference is that in a sense, a pure investment, If it had no speculative component, and there's no such thing as that, but would you get all the value from the uh, business itself or from the underlying asset itself? Whereas a pure speculation, a speculation that has no investment merit at all, would only get its value from the fact that people are going to, um, uh, the way the market's going to work. So for instance, a pure speculation, I would say, would be like if you're betting on an overhang of stock coming onto the market or something, that affects the supply and demand of the shares, but it has no effect on the underlying business. A pure investment would be if you literally don't care that the market multiple will expand and stuff. What we're doing is making what we think are investments, but there is a significant speculative component In the same way that actually, like, I mean, if we take the pair of aces example, if we got a table with also a huge number of players and stuff and no one folds, we have a pretty good chance of losing. So, um, you know, in a sense, the investment, there's still a speculative component, Mm -hmm. which is that the reaction of other people to what we're doing. Um, so it's not true that you could just have something where, um, it's all investment or all speculation. And to me, that's the difference is the asset versus the market for it. So speculation is something that depends on the market, um, for your return. Uh, other people will say that the speculation just means anything that you don't know about the future and stuff, which I think is kind of crazy because then, you know, there's no such thing as investing. Mm -hmm. How do you think about like this idea of like having a variant perception,
1: right? Right. Or just because that's what, I mean, you make a lot of money in stocks sometimes if an outcome happens that everybody else wasn't expecting.
0: And on the other end of the spectrum is you can lose a lot of money when uncertainty sure. comes in yeah so we get the, the, this gets kind of okay because the probabilities involved and stuff like that so let's talk about it all right so i'm kind of against the betting on a specific outcome like in the sense of i think like say i'm like i think it's more likely that person x will win the presidential election than person y and the problem that i have with that is let's say let's go back to 2008 or whatever or b- let's use Uh, Four years ago or yeah, we'll do four years ago, let's say because this actually happened. So let's say you thought I think it's more likely that Trump will win the presidential election than other people think. And I think it's more likely that he will cut uh, that the Republican there'll be a Republican Congress that will cut taxes and he'll sign it than other people think. Right. The problem that I have with that is let's say that you think there's a 70% chance you're right about the election. 30% you're wrong. Okay. And then let's say that you think that once these people are in the respective positions in the government and the different branches and that the different majorities they have, that at that point there's a 70 30 Right percent mm-hmm. chance. Okay, we're now at forty nine percent that this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right, because we need both events to happen. Yeah. So we just went from you know zero point seven times zero point seven. We're at zero. We're just under fifty percent now. So we literally have a situation in which you're betting on something that's less than fifty percent probability. Now you could argue, and using the post example again, people always be like, oh well, but it's still a good bet because actually the payoff that I'm going to get from that compared to what people expect means that this is going to work out well. I don't like it and think it makes sense because i don't think people can gauge probabilities that carefully i think that's crazy um 49 it's 49 so like, precise i don't think that they can gauge probabilities in the sense of you know the i think they can know if something is in a 30 to 70 range i think it's very hard for someone to know um 85 or 95 even using the poker example if it was like they'll fold 85 percent of the time versus 95 percent, don't you can't possibly figure that out there's no way to do it so um I think that that kind of thinking doesn't make sense that way because, and the biggest thing with that is like we've said before here, the problem is that the market can respond very differently than you expect if certain stuff happens. So like if I told you what would happen this year um, or, or we'll use the example from four years ago, if I told you who would win the election, you would predict the wrong direction for the market to go. So you could have been right about that and then completely wrong the first day or the first week or, you know, month or whatever. Um, the same sort of thing with like things about the stock market. It would have been very hard to predict things about what would happen with like a covid type thing or whatever, you know. How much of it is is betting
1: on also the way that the market is going to look at a certain situation. So you could look at a stock that you know is going to generate a ton of more cash or you feel fairly confident is going to generate way more cash in the future and the market could value that cash flow differently than it is today. Yeah, I think like we did a podcast when we were talking mm-hmm. about telecom and john malone right right and it's like earnings in those companies they don't really have a lot right mm-hmm. but let's say at some point they start to actually report more earnings and the market's gonna look a lot differently at those businesses in the future like how much of that is like speculation
0: right so that's a very big part of it, and I've I've done that kind of thing before. I think, like as an example, I think computer services was a very good like investment type company and stuff. You could think of it that way, but a return in it was purely speculative in the sense that the it very re-rated, and so that's what I mean using the that example of like in a sense that's all not from the value of the business. It's not like the business generated a lot of value or grew a lot Mm -hmm. or provided a lot of free cash flow or whatever. It's purely that the business that was like a 13 times type earnings company was suddenly valued like a 26 times. Because
1: that's the same thing with Microsoft. Yep. When it's at 12 times earnings, but revenue per share tripled or,
0: you know, went up four times or whatever and the stock went nowhere or went down. Yes. So I think that's a great example, uh, Microsoft, because we talked about that. I think that as an investment, most of the last 20 years has been the same for Microsoft. It's had similar investment merit. But if we think of it as speculative merit in terms of like um, that, in essence, you think Microsoft was too expensive in 2000, too cheap in 2010, uh, roughly, um, then I would agree with that. But in a sense, it's speculative If you were to short Microsoft in 2000 and go long Microsoft in 2010, you know, Mm -hmm. think of it that way, or like, you know, just sell it that you owned it because look, you're saying that something that's at a PE of 10 is too low and something at a PE of 53 is too high. And in this example that we have here, it was at like 50 in 2000 and then it dropped to like 10 Mm -hmm. or so. But do you think
1: gauging sort of the market sentiment to certain situations should be a very important part? To no. so an investment case, because okay, in this situation, you held for what ten years? That's a long time to hold and watch a stock, you know, continue to go up, but this, or like the fundamentals continue to go up, but the stock price actually go nowhere. We talk about Berkshire Hathaway, right? Mm-hmm. In the first five years that he was running Berkshire, the fundamentals were improving, and the stock right. went nowhere. Yes, we talk about five years being not a long time, and over the span of you know fifty or whatever hundred or you know longer time frames, it's not but actually living it out day to day. And if the market keeps going up, it's very hard to do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I guess there's different ways that you could get through that. I mean, um, owning a lot of different stuff. I mean, owning more stocks is the easiest way for people. It's hard when they own just one mm-hmm. or something, but if you own a few that you have that happening with, um, I mean, a good example is like, um, Japanese net nets and stuff that I invested in by having a basket of them. I think people are okay with it when they own one. I think they have a problem, but if you own five or six, then like something happens with one of them all the time. Yeah. hmm
1: Um, and then you have a company like we could talk about our old friend, whoops, Celsius. Okay. That's up massively. Sure now they also have massive growth right, right. their growth appears to be very real but i think it's the stocks up like what four times
0: since we looked at it yeah four or five times i think at a a year a, ago? about 80% lower it had investment merit potentially um i don't think it does today i think it has purely speculative merit which might you know be justified i mean i don't know if it has speculative merit or not if it's a bad bet i mean i think the sale price to sales and stuff is too high now and everything so i'm not sure it would be a good speculation but like an example of a good speculation uh so we, we could talk about this one um uh twnk is hostess brands i don't think the stock is cheap um but it has warrants out you could check them on otc markets what they're at now but it, so it has these warrants out and the warrants they move around a lot are interesting Um, it also has options on it. So you could compare the cost of the, um, warrants, the cost of the option, the warrants are longer dated than the longest option I know of. Um, but so, okay. So 0.85 is the cost of the warrants. You need two warrants to buy one share at 1150. So we're talking about a dollar 70 right now, basically Mm -hmm. is the, the warrant price. I mean, it's 85, but you need two. So, um, because of that, You've got a price of um, we're at what twelve thirty nine was the last close here, mm-hmm. so as you can see, it's a very low price over that. Um, what did I just tell you that we're at? We're at a uh, dollar seventy. A dollar seventy. Um, yeah. So what's dollars thirteen twenty? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thirteen twenty on a twelve dollar forty cent stock, uh, and you have a little over a year left on it. Um, so from that perspective, you would say, okay, does that make sense as a thing to buy? Um, it could the reason why it could and this is what I mean about the speculative component here is that it's potentially possible that you would want to buy that warrant despite the fact that it has no to me has no investment merit not that it's bad but like the stock is already trading at times sales uh, EV to sales and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like it's already trading and so if I look at the margins uh, margins are like 15% operating margin or something. So basically it's at what I think is sort of like a fair price for it. You Mm -hmm. know it's it's at effectively when you adjust for things and stuff like 20 times when I adjust for the leverage you know the PE and stuff. So that's kind of normal for this kind of company. So I'm not getting anything cheap but what I'm getting is a stock that will likely move around during that year mm-hmm. and then it's just a question of how much it'll move around obviously it's likely to move around by more than the stock price but there's the risk that i'll lose all of my money right mm-hmm. so i mean so for instance let's say it's five six there's seven time percent, decay on it right? right yeah let's say it's five six seven percent uh it has to move up five six or seven percent before i make any money you know stocks generally would be moving 20 percent, 20 percent or something this stock is a little less um the industry it's in has less like variation and stuff in it, but it also has a lot of debt. So I don't know why it would move less than that. So if you have over a year left on something, then you're probably going to move up down 20%, you know, and the, um, but of course you could lose all your money and everything. So it's a speculation. It could, you literally just be a speculation on, you think the stock will bounce around more than other people do. It can be that kind of speculation. Mm -hmm. Um, you can look at other things to try to figure that out. And people will do detailed stuff like that. Like I said, there's a, since there are publicly traded options on the stock, I guess people would look at the options market and say, okay, is the warrant better than the options and all that sort of thing. I don't know if that's the best way of doing it. I'm kind of skeptical. Do you think it's
1: best to really just focus like on the simple thesis? I thought this tweet was really interesting by value stock geek. If you're not following me, definitely should. And he said, after spending a lot of time reading old Vic posts, value investors club, here Mm -hmm. are a few conclusions. One bad industry, stay bad. There's not a miracle coming. That will change it. I like that Two, Simple ideas are for making money. And complicated ones are for boosting egos. Mm -hmm. Really like that. And three stay away from some of the parts. So I'm kind of curious, like, do you do you agree with that? Do you think sort of these more complicated is it easier to bet on the business being like a predictable, just continue on throughout the future as opposed to, you know, like the sentiments gonna be different and like the speculative component to it?
0: Um I agree that simpler things are easier that way and, and uh, that, like, they're more likely to work. An idea that you can explain simply is an uh, idea that is more likely to be successful. Um, for the Value Investors Club thing, I did do a completely speculative thing, mm. which I thought was fairly simple in terms of the speculation. Just like I said, like, that warrants thing is pretty simple. You can think about, yeah. okay, well, how much variation do I expect in the stock? How much time do I have left? Whatever, you know, those sorts of things. Um in th- that case, a company was buying up stuff to become an ethanol company, and it was trading at maybe one fifth or something, the price to book of companies that already had the name ethanol in them. So I figured the two would converge. So that's a pure speculation. I I did not like ethanol as an industry. The number one is bad industry. Stay bad. I agree. It so you're betting bad, on. So I don't want to be in perception. It. But if you're short one ethanol company along this company, uh, that what that company was at the time, then the two will converge in terms of the market perception. I agree with that completely. The, the related hedge. Yes. Yeah, right And so, so speculative things in that way, that the market, speculative things in which the market is perceiving something as wrong, uh, perceiving something the wrong way and will be disillusioned of this eventually do seem to work well. Those seem to work pretty well. So another example is that I bought into a thing that broke up and spun off and whatever, which was, um, is now BWX technologies. It was Babcock and Wilcox. And that was one where I think the, the company had a Mm -hmm had a very mediocre business in a sense and potentially dying and stuff uh, combined with a great business, an absolutely amazing business. We could type in BWXT so I can show you what I mean once it was unlocked because the business that was left here after the spin that you can see, if this works out right, let's see. Yeah, so there's the spinoff. You can start in like 20, uh, yeah, 2016, I guess is maybe the first full year after. Um, you can see that you have a very strong business at that point. Um, and I don't know how it's been restated for the spin and stuff. So that could be wrong. But anyway, um, it's a very predictable business that then got a very high multiple for it. So mm-hmm. like now it's been in multiples of 15 or 20 times earnings or whatever, whereas it had not been before. And the reason why is it had one money losing business and then had one business that wasn't so great. And so um, when they talk about some of the parts and stuff, I agree about some of the parts if nothing's going to happen to unlock those parts in a way that will reveal the value to people. Mm -hmm. But I don't agree in the sense that um, a lot of times the market puts a lot of value on like price to book or on earnings per share or on free cash flow or whatever those are. So if you can, in essence, predict that before the market does, you know something's going to happen and you can see it already, then it makes sense to, to bet on that basically. So I think that that kind of speculation that oh the market will reward this afterwards makes a lot of sense like i've done that before we talked about like a speculation and things like um uh we talked about frost with interest rates we talked about um cruise lines with oil prices Mm, in those cases though i still want to use my example of the uh with the hand and the cards um is that in a sense you're somewhere in the spectrum where you still have a lot of value basically it's like This is still okay if it's purely investment, but there's a speculative component and I can make money from that. I don't like the ones in which it's purely speculative. And so like stock-wise and stuff, what would purely speculative be? It would be the kind of stuff you and Vetla talk about in the rundown, right? Mm -hmm. It would be things in which there's literally no business or it could be a fraud or you know, those sorts of things versus things in which there is some investment thing. And then that mix can happen. So like take Tesla or something, right? Is Tesla, we could put in the ticker and stuff so we could say is Tesla, pure speculation, pure investment, somewhere in between it is. So it has a competitor that's pure speculation. Okay. Or another stock that people know of, um, that Nikola. has, it has no It has no investment merit. Tesla has a business, but there becomes a price at which it almost doesn't matter. And that's the problem is that, and this is, you know, so I don't want to come off as sounding too negative on Tesla or whatever here. But what I mean is you reach a price at which the fact that you're a legitimate business and Nikola is not, Mm. doesn't make much of a difference in your bet. Because essentially the speculative component at this price is so high a percentage that even though you had that value, let's say you have, you know, $100 of value per share or whatever, and then your stock goes to $600. Mm -hmm. So it almost doesn't matter because you and a fraud both 80 to 100% of your value is in the pure speculative thing, yeah, right? Sure. And so the fraud you could get in and out of faster than other investors, you can make money, whatever. Same thing in this stock. It's mostly in like will you be out of it faster? Do will you know that stuff better in the multiple? Greater fool. Right. Then you will in terms of the um the price to, like the price to value that way of the um so if we look like it's hard to judge, but if we look at things like gross margins and stuff here and try to work backward from that um it's it's tough i mean what i said is pretty accurate i think i'd say that well over 80 percent of the value of tesla is purely speculative so i have a question
1: what's your definition of an investment
0: well an investment would be something in which there is no need for a public market Okay, so you could be so wrong. Explain. So let's, let's look at one that could be a bad investment. It's gone down. So, so far it's been a bad investment, but I'll give you an example here NC. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is an $18 stock, which earned in cash on average the last three years or so, probably $5 or so. Sometimes it's as low as three, maybe you could argue, but it's not much different than that. So it's in the range of three to $5 with the $18 stock price. So you're talking about yeah, you know three to six i mean let's say four to six times earnings or something okay. of it's average earnings the last few years that doesn't take into account the fact that it has net cash right so it's at a 130 million dollar market cap it has net cash that's pretty significant um so i'm ignoring that right and you're still getting a number that's you know a few years that in five years you could be paid back so you can lose your biggest customer which is a possibility with them now um, once you do, then your earnings can go down a bunch. You could invest things badly that you um the th- the things that you that cash can be invested in bad stuff. Um, but regardless, if you're buying something at PE's this low, um, and price to book this low and all of that, um, uh, I mean, here, we the cash flow is the easiest way to do this. So if we go into the cash flow statement, we look at the market cap's 128 million. Um, the cash flow statement tells us that cash the last three years or something i'm gonna ignore the years Remember before they that spent off
1: too for people to don't know right
0: yeah yeah so um the year since then i'm gonna say is like 50 million or something and then i'm gonna say 20 million they've spent on capex each year so about 30 million right so if we go to the balance sheet you got 30 million in cash and free cash flow generally the balance sheet shows us that we have about uh i mean quarterly it's less yeah so um we got about a hundred million of that. Then we have the long-term debt and stuff. So there's liabilities associated with that that we could get into. But in general, it'd be about fifty million at least we could say that they have in in net cash. I guess most people would say fifty million or so in net cash. So you got if we go back to the um, overview, of them you have you know seventy, let's say seventy-five million dollar market cap or something like that, and a. Um, $30 million free cash flow. I mean, sorry, not market cap, uh, $75 million enterprise value and like a $30 million free cash flow. So your enterprise values pay back in two and a half years, two to three year pay, payback period. Um, so if you intend to hold the stock three or more years, you could get back your entire value that way. I've made bad investments in things that were investments purely. I mean, I, I would say, uh, but not always. So like I was in Barnes and Noble, so, Barnes & Noble is a good example because I would say it worked purely as an investment, making a lot of sense. This was 10 years ago. Because, again, it, just like this, you could make all your money back in a matter of three, four, five years. But a lot of people weren't in it speculatively, and there was a speculative component to it because it was a proxy battle, you know? Mm-hmm. And the same thing would be like, um, I'm sure people were in uh, the Timberland Company, Cool, Q&A Land Association, because... Um, It had an appraisal value on its timber that was higher. It had been appraised by someone a little while ago that was higher than its stock price. So there's your investment merit, right? Mm -hmm. The idea being that if it's ever sold the entire company or something, that'd be worth more. Um, So there doesn't need to be a public market for it. Like I said, so investment merit is no public market, but then the speculative component is there's a proxy battle. So you think that's going to change things up, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'd say most value investors club things you read, are a mix of investment and speculative don't you think sure yeah it's more like it's oh, there's almost none i read that appear next couple of years what i would like say uh, is pure investment yeah, no, in, in a sense there's that bluff aspect of what i'm saying there's that aspect of i'm going to get out before other people do. yeah yeah and uh, naco starting to look a lot like when munger
1: invested you know found the investment idea in barons yeah I think he said it was trading at like a 25 percent earnings yield or something like that you know and he invested eight to ten million and then it went to 60 million relatively quickly yeah. and they gave it all the lilu and well now it's at like 600 million there
0: are smart speculations and there are bad investments you know too so i um you know j- i wouldn't let me put it this way if naka works out badly it would not in any way make it less of an investment in the same way that um uh now you could play it badly and stuff in the same way that a pair of aces losing doesn't mean that it wasn't an With investment bad in the fe- yeah. in the beginning yeah um and but, and I also mean that in the sense of the 7-2 thing is that I can't say that playing it is a mistake in the sense that it may doesn't it actually matter. What, I mean, they can't see your cards. So in a sense, it doesn't actually matter what your cards are if you're successful bluffing. Um, and the same thing in, in speculative things, I think. if That's why I give that example because I think in speculative things, in a sense, if you're making th- money in purely speculative things, I would say Tesla's an example of that. If you've made money recently in Tesla, that may be a sign of skill and stuff in the same way that winning was seven, two might be a sign of skill, but that it is purely made on the fact that you're good at speculating. I
1: think mm-hmm. like news driven and stuff like that,
0: right? That you were able to figure those things out or you were able to figure out that people were too, uh, too um, pessimistic on it or to read those things or whatever, all those skills that I don't have of figuring out those things about the the um, sentiment and those sorts of things and whatever that you could figure it out that way. What I'm saying is if you thought that it was based on your understanding of the business fundamentals, I can't agree that your return was really based on that. So e- even if Tesla's results were good and the stock went up a lot, mm. I don't agree with the idea that actually you made much of an investment return because actually it mattered very, very little your ability to predict the business at Tesla. Mm -hmm. What mattered a lot is your ability to predict how the market would react. So that's why I would say that's a speculation.
1: I wish I could look at more of Joel Greenblatt's Gotham fund days, you know, like the investments that they made, like how much of it was really the market appreciating it. So like sort of the right. speculation component to the actual business itself.
0: That, yeah. That's very interesting. Cause I find that spinoffs and things in a sense have a big speculative component. Sure. Like yeah. in the, in the sense that you're, and, and that you can be very successful with them because in a sense you're trying to figure out what the market will value something that it hasn't really had a lot of experience yeah. valuing. So it, there's opportunity for yeah. that
1: mispricing.
0: Yeah. And there is opportunity that way both ways, I think with like SPACs too, in the sense of purely speculative. Um, that they could be priced too high at times and people could short them and whatever, but also that they'll fall too low in value and stuff because of the whole way that they work speculatively. There's a lot of things because they're kind of sponsored by things in the sense that they have some interest from people. Then they don't know what they're going to be in. Then people react to it in a certain way and it attracts a different shareholder group because they had no idea that's what would be bought and everything. And so those speculative things are a lot like a spinoff or something. Mm -hmm. Now I think they're unfortunately reversed where historically, the spinoff was more likely to be undervalued, the SPAC, unfortunately, is a little more likely to be overvalued. But it works both ways, you know, Um, eventually, that kind of change in the shareholder base and stuff will give you different kinds of results. The investment thing would work even if the shareholder base doesn't change much. That's another way to think about it. So even if there's very little turnover, if it doesn't get recognized by a lot of different people, if a lot of same people keep holding it, you'd get good results that way. Um, like I said, with the NACO thing, I don't think it needs to find different investors to have success that way. Um, in a short period of time, it would need to have it. But it really doesn't need that because you can see with the EV to free cash flow and stuff like that, you know. Mm. Um, it just needs to be able to generate enough cash over time. Um, whereas a speculative thing is like, you know, would be things that you need to have a much bigger re-rating of the stock. Um, That can even be things like net nets and stuff. And I think of them kind of, in a sense, as being speculative, even though they're investment things. Mm -hmm. But Um, you're doing it more on like a group basis. Yeah, you're doing it on a group basis. The idea being that you're getting good value um, because you're paying less than they should be re-rated to as a group on average. And it has to do with the very, very low price. But in general, the problems with net nets are that it's hard to hold them long enough that they actually work out um in the sense that i mean if you hold them too long they won't work out that much better than the market and then to some extent it's other stuff um that there's certain dangers about it uh but yeah so in my definition i would think of net nets honestly as being pretty speculative Mm -hmm. um but not always because the argument that you could make is like like the net nets i think of as what's available today and then people buy and i would say is speculative but I think that's different than if you could get control. It's not speculative at all. Mm-hmm. Or if they say what they're planning to do. Even Berkshire Hathaway, I think, is a lot less speculative when Buffett bought in, because as we talked with Jacob about, yeah. um, they were already buying back stock. They were they were basically liquidating over time and whatever. What I'm talking about with a net net is a net net that has no intention of doing any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's and where they're just like hoping to. for yeah, know, where, where I mean, talked about that, like, we control it. We're never going to sell it. Um, long. We're going to keep doubling down on this. You know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's different types of net-nets, right? So like, and and again, liquidating, we talked about with lobbies, liquidating a company mm-hmm. that owns real estate is very different than a Sam or map that owns a bunch
0: of stocks or like could be converted right. to cash
1: relatively quickly.
0: Yeah. So that's a great example. Um, in a sense, I would, and I know this is weird to people because in a sense, net-nets and workouts and stuff are considered like the same sort of thing. But I would say that actually a workout, like a liquidation, a pure liquidation, just like a merger arbitrage thing and stuff, is has no speculative component. It purely has an investment component because all I have to be, it does not matter what the market, anything that happens to the market, all I have to be is correct about their liquidation. If I'm correct about their liquidation value, the timeline and stuff, like I wrote a write-up on it and I said like, here's the math between different values that they could get in liquidating distributions and by what time. So if they get $4.50 by the end of 2020, here's your Kager. Yeah. If they get, you know, that kind of thing. If I'm right about that, it does not matter that there's a public market for it at all. Like mm-hmm. if the company said, oh, we'll sell you all 100% of our shares. Or if I buy one share, it's the same exact thing. And it does not matter.
1: I mean, it, imagine if you had a private business that was doing that. Right. And you you kind of weighed out the time with the Kager and stuff. That's all you would focus on. You wouldn't care about day-to-day movements.
0: Yeah. So, Just the know, progress on how it's right. going. But to be fair, right? This is why I think it's like I'm talking about investment speculation a little differently than some people. I think a lot of people would say that's speculative. How do I know what it's going to liquidate for? And then, like, if that's your definition of speculative, then I think everything's speculative. Everything's yeah. uncertain. Sure. Like, yeah, yes. uncertainty. Maybe I might not that. know the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I might not know the answer, but that's what I mean. Like a range of outcomes. Right, but that's what I mean even with the, like the example I was saying. Like, it's very, I mean it could be very hard it could be very hard for you to know the actual probability that you're going to lose with two aces mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that that you're actually depending on like how other people are going to play and stuff is why you're playing mm-hmm. right and the same thing here like if you do that with that liquidation it does not matter who who else is in the market and stuff you know it doesn't whereas like what i did with the um the suggestion that I made uh, for Value Investors Club, which is the ethanol thing, was purely speculative. It did, I requ- it would require a hundred percent. The return would be from the idea that investors would at some point see two stocks with the name ethanol, and then there were all ethanol companies, and they'd value them the exact same way.
1: Well, it's like when people were using, you know, these COVID-related stocks. For example, mm-hmm. you would in the micro cap space, you would start right. to see like the prices get bit up, or with Bitcoin. You know, Mm -hmm. like with Kodak and Bitcoin and then stuff like that, you know? It's just like they're betting, they're making these changes and then these prices would run, but it was simply on, you know, the verbiage they're using about these crazes and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, so even a good example of that would be like if you're going to short things like that, to me that would be speculative in the sense that what you're counting on is like, oh, there was a frenzy here and stuff, and now it's going to die down and it'll go back to the same price. In fact, some people talk about it that way. They're like, well, the price was $20, then it went crazy and stuff, so I'm showing on the expectation it will one day go back down to the old price that it had without even looking much at the investment, like mm-hmm. whether it's worth it or not. Mm-hmm. Got it, cool. Want well, to thank everybody so much for tuning
1: in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding podcast. Make sure you download our app, which is Focus Compounding on Google Play or the iOS store. Thank you so much for all the support. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and we will see you in the next podcast.